Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot. On today's episode of The Human Reboot, my guest is Katie Neves. Katie has been a professional photographer and filmmaker for 34 years, but she came out publicly as being transgender after living for 48 years as a man. Katie formed Cool To Be Trans to support and inspire other trans people and also to educate others on trans issues by showing them that trans people are just ordinary people who want to be happy. She uses humour to deliver trans awareness training in an entertaining way and Katie appears regularly in the media and she's on both ITV's and BBC's lists of experts. I am absolutely over the moon that Katie accepted my request to come on the Human Reboot podcast because I was fortunate enough to be speaking with Katie at an international women's event earlier this year and that's when I met her and I found the way that she spoke and how she educates people just phenomenal and I just really wanted to well I did beg and plead her a bit to come on here but (laughs) Katie please would you tell us a little bit more about what you do I am, and thanks very much for inviting me on. Uh, yeah, so basically you just, just outlined it perfectly, really. Um, it's quite a big build-up. I, I don't know if I can live up to that, really. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so basically I do trans awareness training and inspirational speaking to, um, to, to, to to educate the general public and just show people that trans people are just ordinary people who want to be happy. Because there's, there's so much misinformation put out there, and particularly by the mainstream media, and, and, and there's a lot of misinformation in the social media as well. So, and there's, so there's a lot of fear mongering goes on about trans people but we're just ordinary people that's all it is but then also to to reach out to other trans people to let them know that it's okay to be trans because it really is okay to be trans and so many trans people put so much pressure on themselves because they see all this negative stuff in the social media and in the press and they think that it's like that in real life and but it's not it's not at all and so I'm just here just to give them a bit of a helping hand because I'm getting reasonably high profile now I get a lot of trans people and also parents of trans people whether they're trans adults or trans children uh, contact me as well um, for a bit of support as well because it's hard on the families too so yeah doing doing all of those things well some of the information that you have shared with me and also some of the things you've shared on social media have actually helped me with some of my clients along the way so I just before we even start I want to thank you for that oh good I'm pleased about that so please would you tell us about your reboot story yeah it's quite a reboot really (laughs) So I think it's probably the best thing is to, to, to get take you right back to childhood. So I mean, I was born 52 years ago, and as was still still the established custom now, I was assigned a sex based purely on my primary sex characteristics, i.e. what was between my legs. I was assigned male at birth, and I was given the name Martin Albert Neves. So that was me, labelled. 
However, at the age of around three or four, my head and my heart were telling me something very different to the label that I'd been given at birth. And one of my earliest memories was age around three or four was of my mum catching me trying on a pair of my sister's knickers. And I remember when I tried them on, it felt so right. You know, I felt right. But then my mum came in, she caught me and she told me off. She told me to take them off. And for every day of the following week, she would pull my shorts down and she would check to make sure I was wearing my own pants. And it was humiliating. But it sowed the seed for a very long time that what I was doing, it was wrong, it was dirty, it was naughty. You know, it's not what respectable people did. The thing is, however much my mum told me off or humiliated me over this, the urge and the need to cross-dress as it was then would always be with me. Because I don't blame my mum for that. I mean, it was the early 70s and... It's just how things were then, you know. There was, um, you know, if you th- and she's a product of a generation, yeah. You know, so, so I, I get it. You know, I understand. You know, what, why, why she reacted that way. So, I don't blame her at all. I mean, you think back to to what things were like then. There was a lot of gay bashing going on then, wasn't there? Because it was only it was only two years before I was born that it actually became partially legal to be homosexual. Um, and, um, you know, and it seems crazy to think that it was ever illegal, <laughs> you know? but that's just talking about sexuality. So I'm, so I'm digressing a bit, but that sort of sets the scene. Um, so throughout my childhood, I used to secretly dress in my sister's clothes whenever I had the opportunity and whenever I did it, it felt so right. But then those feelings of feeling right, were very quickly replaced by feelings of guilt and shame and self-loathing. And so every time I did it, I would promise myself that I would never, ever do it again. And I tried so hard to not do it again. But every time I tried, the urge and the need to dress would always come back and usually with a, with a vengeance. And so this vicious cycle went right on until my mid-twenties. And so by that time, I trained to become a press photographer and I was working initially on newspapers in Kent uh, before moving up to the Midlands when I got a job as a senior staff photographer with the Coventry Evening Telegraph. I stayed there for five years before leaving to set up my own freelance photography and video business, which I called Martin Neves Photography and Film. See, the problem that that name gave me later on... <laughs> So top tip here, if if you're planning to set up your own business, don't name it after your own name, particularly if you're trans. (laughs) It causes big problems. (laughs) So, but anyway, I did. (laughs) So there you go. So by my mid-20s, I got a successful business and I got married for the first time. And uh, my first marriage lasted for 13 years. And during that time, my business flourished and my photos were regularly published in national newspapers and magazines. And I photographed many notable people and events. So I photographed things like um, the 1990 poll tax riots in Trafalgar Square, the the Yugoslav civil war in Croatia, uh, Princess Diana's funeral, and twice commissioned to photograph the Queen inside Buckingham Palace. So you know, over that time, I built up this you know, great reputation and a lot of experience. But say my first marriage lasted for 13 years, although we should have split sooner because my first wife never accepted my cross-dressing as it was then. We tried counselling over it several times, but it only papered over the cracks. It never really solved the, the problem. But also uh, there's another issue in that I wanted kids and she didn't. And and I always thought that she would change her mind as she got older, as some women do. But unfortunately, she didn't. And so as I was getting, as I was approaching 40, the, the, the need to be a dad was growing much stronger. And I just thought, well, there's these two major things um, that was in our way. So it was a shame because we loved each other and we were a great team. But there's these two massive things in our way. The fact that she would never accept my cross-dressing and and the fact that she didn't want kids and 
it's different if she couldn't have kids but wanted them there's things you can do you know that you could adopt you know there's different but if she didn't want them there's no there's no way out of it and so i instigated the um the, my first divorce and uh, while i was going through that divorce i then went on to meet a woman who would eventually become my second wife and i decided to tell her about my cross dressing on our second date i thought the first date was probably pushing it <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't see it for dust. <laughs> but I told her about it on second date, and to my surprise and to my delight, she was okay with it. And and um, but but there were conditions attached. So she said, as long as you don't do it more than once a week. But in those days, I didn't um, because the thing is, um, actually, I should have should have actually just said that it was actually only in, actually in my mid twenties that I accepted and embraced the fact that then I was a cross dresser. So uh, it was causing me all this um, this guilt and shame up until my mid twenties. But then I, uh, you know, I admitted it to myself, and as soon as I admitted it to myself, it was like a whole weight lifting off my shoulders, and I, I realised I had a condition called um, gender dysphoria, and what that is is it's a great feeling of unease and um, stress caused by a mismatch in how I felt in my head and my heart, i.e. my gender identity, as opposed to my primary sex characteristics and the label I'm given at birth. And thinking about gender dysphoria, it, it can vary in intensity and it very often increases over time. And that's exactly what happened with me. Uh, but at the time, I just I was happy as a man who needed to cross-dress and that's all it was. So I thought I treated it more like a hobby that will always be part of me. And I never in a million years thought that I would ever need to transition. So at the time, the level of gender dysphoria that I had was low enough that cross-dressing once, once a week you know, or, or, or longer periods than that was was okay. That was fine. It was enough to yeah, satisfy. It was enough. Yeah. It was. It was. So so that was okay. So that was a tick in the box. You see. So um, but then there was another condition, and then she said, um, as long as you never want to transition. Well, again, I categorically didn't. I was happy as a man who needed to cross dress. So I thought. So again, that was another tick in the box. And there was another one that she said that I didn't really agree to at the time, but she said, if ever we had kids, she didn't want them seeing it. I thought, well, I'd already lived a lie and a double life within my first marriage. And I didn't really want that you know, with any kids. So I didn't really agree to that. But I, then I thought, well, let's face it. I'm fishing from a smaller pond here, aren't I? <laughs> and, and I thought, well, two out of three isn't bad. Let's face the third one if and when that happens, because we might not even be able to have kids, you know. So, and I just thought, I was just amazed that I've actually found anybody who would accept me as a cross-dresser, you know. So, so our relationship blossomed. And 10 years ago, we had a beautiful baby daughter who's the centre of my universe. And um, she, so anyway, it was many years before we got married because after the pain and the cost of my first divorce, I always said I'd never get married again. But um, eventually I, I weakened and I proposed and um, and we got married in August 2017. However, <laughs> a few months before we got married, I just happened to meet a spiritual guide and clairvoyant at a business networking meeting. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to any business networking meetings, Emma, but you, you tend not to meet people like clairvoyants, no, do you? No, not really. <laughs> you you <laughs> You meet lots of people like accountants and financial advisors and nothing wrong with those people. I've got lots of friends who, who in those professions, but, um, but clairvoyants are really, really interesting to talk to. And, um, so I was just fascinated by her and I was talking to her for most of the evening. And by the end of it, I thought, oh, I'm going to book up for a reading. I didn't feel the need for a reading or anything, but I was just intrigued. So I went along and she blew me away. She was incredible. She said so many things that were so true, so pinpoint accurate, things that, she couldn't have guessed and she couldn't have found out from my website or from my social media. 
But then she also said other things that just didn't make sense at the time. Now, they make perfect sense now, but they didn't at the time. So she, she said things like, there's a new way of being, and there's an issue that you've always known about, but that you're not fully in integrity with. She said, spirit want you to go off for a long walk in the countryside and talk to yourself, talk to nature and talk to spirit, and they will show you what you need to see. So I thought, okay, well, I like walking. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> um, but I was really busy at the time because I was busy with my work and it was the run up to our wedding. So there's loads of stuff going on. Yeah. So in the meantime, we got married in August 2017. But it wasn't until very early November 2017 that I finally found the time to, to take myself off for a long walk. And I went over to Rutland Water. because I love it over there. It's a beautiful part of the country. And I worked out this really long route um, uh, around the southern countryside and then came back along the south shore. Um, and I went midweek because I didn't want to meet, meet anybody else. So I thought it'd be quieter then. And I remember it was a beautiful day. It was a blue sky. The sun was shining. Not a cloud in the sky, but it was a very cold, crisp, clear day. And I went off with my map and my compass and my walking boots and my backpack. And I was on a mission. I was striding it out. I was talking at the top of my voice, talking to myself talking to nature talking to spirit whoever they were so it was a very conscious decision to put into action it was okay it it was it was and I thought well okay give it a go why not yeah um but I remember feeling disappointed at the time because I was naively expecting some sort of light bulb moment or some sort of voice to say this is what you should be seeing <laughs> strangely Emma that didn't happen <laughs> I can't imagine why and I thought oh perhaps I've done it wrong perhaps I, sh- I should have just sat serenely by the water's edge looking out at the reservoir <laughs> yeah but, but but strangely whether it's a coincidence or not I really don't know but around about the same sort of time my gender dysphoria increased dramatically it went through the roof so much so that I just didn't know what gender I was at all I hadn't got a clue and I was so desperate to find out that I was even typing into Google you know, what gender is Martin Neves now I know that's crazy because the the answer could only come from me it couldn't come from anyone else particularly Google but I was desperate and it's what desperate people do <laughs> perhaps Google should, should change their slogan to where desperate people go <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they go for that <laughs> Given that marketing advice for free, <laughs> but you know, I was just desperate. You know, the thing is, I couldn't, I couldn't tell my wife about my inner turmoil because I didn't want to stir up a hornet's nest unnecessarily if it turned out to be something or nothing. But also, if I did tell her, it would lead to her asking me questions, which at the time I just didn't have the answers to. I didn't know what gender I was at all. I hadn't got a clue, so I just had to face this on my own. So the first thing that I decided to do was to get some counselling. And I found a counsellor who had experience of talking to people with gender issues. And uh, I had four sessions with her. And in hindsight, I think I should have had more sessions because at the end of those sessions, I wrongly concluded that I was gender fluid. Now, would you like me to expand on that and explain what? Yeah, just that may help our, our listeners. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, Let's go back to basics then. So, so we're all we're all brought up to think of sex and, and gender being the same things, but they're not. So, let's look at sex to begin with. So, so basically, when when a baby's born, you know, we're all born as just babies. No surprise there. <laughs> but we're born as babies with various bits. We have bits between our legs, bits between our ears, bits inside our bodies, 
bits on the ends of our arms and legs, bits everywhere. The only bits that count in terms of the birth certificate are the appearance of the bits between your legs. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's all it is. Yeah. And so when a baby's born, the doctor or midwife looks between the legs of the babies and depending on what they see, they assign the, the baby as either a boy or a girl. It's just a binary choice. That's all they've got in this country. In other parts of the world, this, this is starting to change now. But it, you know, it's certainly over here, that's what we still have. It's just that binary choice, boy or girl. The thing about sex, sex itself isn't binary. Nature is very messy. It doesn't do black and white. It doesn't do binary things. It's very messy. It does a whole spectrum of these things. And so sex itself isn't binary. And so it's just under 2% of the population are what's called intersex. So we think of you know XX and XY chromosomes. It's not as simple as that. Many people have an extra chromosome. You can actually have up to five chromosomes. You know, many people have an extra chromosome and they're, and they're intersex. So it, it's about the same number of people in this country who've got ginger hair. Not necessarily the same people, so don't go drawing to any conclusions, jump, you know, jumping to any conclusions. But so for instance, one, one of the conditions they could have, they could have a vagina, but then they could have internal testes. But obviously when they're born, um, the internal testes can't be seen. So it's only the vagina that is seen. And so um, the, the baby gets assigned as, as a female, as a girl. So, but that's just about sex. That's got nothing to do with gender. When a baby's born, there's no way of knowing what the baby's gender is. What gender is, is the sex of your brain. And the thing is, the baby, you know, baby can't speak then anyway, and and brain isn't developed enough to, to, to know. It's not until they get to about three or four when they start getting a, a sense of, of, their, of their gender. And so the gender is basically, you know, it, it manifests itself in how you feel in your head and your heart. You just know. You just know. And, and But for... For 95% of the population, their gender identity matches their sex characteristics and the label they've been given at birth. And to those people, I say, well, lucky them. But for about 5% of the population, there is a mismatch and there's a problem. They reckon it's about 4% are non-binary, which, which I'll come on to in a minute, and I'll explain, um, and about 1% are trans, although tr uh, non-binary does come, still come into the trans umbrella. So just as sex isn't binary, Gender isn't binary either. There's a, there's a whole spectrum and it's not linear either. So many people are what's called agender. So they don't have a gender at all. But just for simplicity purposes for, for, the, for this podcast, just to think of it as being linear with 100% male at one end and 100% female at the other end. And we're all on the spectrum somewhere. And most people who, who are not trans just tend to think they are 100% male or 100% female because that's what's on the birth certificate, but they haven't really, it's only because their gender hasn't caused them any issues because there's no mismatch. So they've never had to look at where they are on the spectrum. Whereas for people like me, who, who, who gender, you know, our gender has caused us some um, issues, we've had to look at where we, we are on the spectrum. So for, for people that are roughly in the middle of the spectrum, they're non-binary. So they don't feel either male or female. And for, for gender fluid people, they're roughly in the middle of the spectrum, but sometimes they feel male. Sometimes they feel female. And this can vary by the day, by the week, whatever. And all these things are perfectly normal, perfectly natural ways of being a human being. There's nothing wrong with the human beings, but there's an awful lot wrong to do with the uh, the, the, the binary you know, system, labeling, labeling system um, that, that we're all forced to adopt at the moment. And, and the fact that, it, that, that sex, you know, the, the label, sex label overrides gender in terms of the, the birth certificate so so like these people that have um gender reveal parties it really winds me up because it's not it, it, it's not a gender reveal party there's no way of telling what the baby's gender is either at birth or pre-birth you know from a scan you can't tell that it's got nothing to do with it. all all these those parties are is that my baby has or hasn't got a willy party <laughs> that's all they are that's all they are
That's all they are. And it, and it places too much importance on sex rather than gender. So anyway, at the time, I thought that I was gender fluid, but I didn't just stop it there. So at the same time as doing that, I was working through a self-help workbook called You and Your Gender Identity by a, a gender therapist from the States called Dara Hoffman Fox. It's a brilliant book, and it's like psychotherapy in a book, really. It, it's, there's a lot of work involved in, in going through it, and it took me about two months to work my way through it. And by the time I got to about three quarters of the way through the book, it became obvious that I wasn't gender fluid. I was, in fact, a transgender woman. And I, I realised why I thought I was gender fluid in the first place, and it was my fear of admitting to myself that I was trans that was stopping me from you know it was making me hang on to any bit of masculinity that I had and so I, I understand that now but I didn't at the time and then by the time I got to the end of that book that conclusion hadn't changed so now I had two conclusions but they were different so what can I do now so I know I'll send a text back to the clairvoyant. So I sent the text back and she sent the text back to me. She said, that's funny. I was expecting your text. No, she wasn't. That was just a cheap joke. <laughs> Had to <be> there. <laughs> but um, I should point out, she's not, ju- she's not just some sort of um, mystic Meg sitting in a caravan with a crystal ball predicting the lottery numbers. Although to be honest with the state of my finances at the moment, that'd be quite handy. So if you know of anyone like that, if you can let me know, <laughs> or if your listeners can let me know, if they can, if they can, they can put it in the you know, chat or send an email, that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I've asked quite a few audiences that question over the years and um, so far they've all disappointed so no pressure listeners all right <laughs> so no, I bet you're far too young to remember Mystic Meg aren't you no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so uh, glad to hear it glad to hear it. So, so anyway no she is actually um, a spiritual healer and spiritual guide and she's um, a healer member of the National Federation of Spiritual Healers which is recognised by the NHS so she's got some credibility about her. And she suggested to me that I go along for a vision, vision quest session. And what that is, it's a four-hour interactive process. It's a long old session. And she, in, during that session, she uses techniques such as deep meditation to get you into a really relaxed state so you can get past all your fear and access your inner truth. And so I went along for that session on the 11th of January, 2018. It's a, a date I'll, I'll never forget. And during that session, she didn't give me any answers at all. She just asked me a series of questions. It was question after question after question after question. It was relentless. Now, whether she got the questions from spirit or not, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Asked me all these questions and she allowed all the answers to come from me and from my inner truth. And it was such an emotional session. I, I cried buckets that day. I really did. And it was at the end of that session that I admitted to myself that I am a transgender woman and that I need to change my body. And that was the point that I really felt female and I really felt that Martin had stepped back and Katie had taken over. So now, after all three different approaches, I had discovered my true gender identity. So what now? You know, what was I going to do with this new piece of information? You know, I, I had a happy home life. I had a successful business. You know, could, could I put all of that in jeopardy just for this new piece of information eating away at me? Then, but then again, could I go back to how I was before with this new piece of information eating away at me I didn't think I could um, and the trouble is I, you know, I didn't want to be trans no one does as it invariably involves a lot of loss pain and heartache as well as dealing with prejudice and bigotry on the way no one chooses to be trans the only choice you have is whether you do anything about it or not and decide to transition and the research that I did showed that most trans people who decide to transition after the initial loss pain and heartache and bumpy journey along the way, usually go on to lead happy and contented lives. Whereas many trans people who decide not to transition, very sadly, they often end up in a spiral of depression or often worse. 
And so the urge to live my truth was just so overwhelmingly strong. So I just thought, I've, I've just got to do this thing because I, I knew who I was. I was finally at peace with myself. So I just had to face up to it. And so the first challenge I had was to tell my wife about this. And <laughs> well, the hardest thing I've ever had to do was actually admit to myself was trans, but the next hardest thing was to tell my wife about it. And it took me a whole month to pluck up courage to tell her because I was so frightened of telling her. And I was so frightened that I actually wrote a letter to her just in case my words didn't come out right. In the event, my words did come out right, but I gave her the letter at the end anyway, just so she had something to refer to because it was she was in complete shock. It was such a bombshell that I dropped on that. And I felt terrible for doing it. I hated doing it. I really did. But I had to tell her and I couldn't have told her sooner because I didn't know sooner, but I had to tell her. And I should point out this stage that sexuality and gender are completely separate entities and they're not linked. So in, in my case, I've always been attracted to women and I still am. It's been one of the constants in my life. It's just that the label's changed for me. So, so previously I was labelled as a heterosexual man. Now I'm labelled as a lesbian. It feels absolutely no different to me. I'm just attracted to women. So well, That was one of the things that, that really came out of that talk. And I don't know why in my head that it felt more complicated. But yeah, that was one of the things. It's like the, the description of the difference between gender and sex and the difference between sexuality yeah. and gender for me was just like, you know, it was it was a, a real light bulb moment. And I know I wasn't the only one. So many people get that confused. And so many people, you know, when I came out, I'm like, come on to coming out story in a minute but um, so many people when I came out assumed that as I was going through gender transition that I would automatically be attracted to men but they're not linked at all <laughs> they're just two completely separate things and uh, uh, and some people some people's sexuality does change through transition but I think a lot of that is that it could be they were always attracted to a different gender, but they it's just that they didn't allow themselves to be because often there's internal homophobia going on there and they um you know they 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 sort of but then going through transition sort of frees them up and allows them to to express all of that side and, and explore all that side of themselves. So I think that's a lot of what happens there. But I think you know sex and gender on the whole is a lot more fluid than a lot of people give it credit for anyway, to be honest. Um, and often we restrict ourselves, you know, uh, with these things. Um, so anyway, um, so anyway, that's sex and gender. But anyway, but suffice to say, with when I told my wife that the, the the news went down as badly as you would expect. Because the thing is, my wife's, her, her label hadn't changed. She was still attracted to men. So was, there was a problem. There was a mismatch. Um, so we tried counselling, but sadly that didn't work. So unfortunately that meant the end of my second marriage. So even though we'd been together for a long time, it was a very short marriage. But the next dilemma I had was what to do about the name of my photography and video business when I changed my name to Katie, because it was it was very boldly branded after my old male name, Martin Neves Photography and Film. I thought, well, I could change the name to Katie Neves Photography and Film when I changed my name to Katie. But trouble is, at that point, it had been an established brand for 22 years, and it was and still is actually ranked second in the UK on Free Index um, just through customer reviews. So with all those reviews and everything, and I just thought, I couldn't change that. If I if I was to change the name to Katie News Photography and Film, I'd have to get rid of all that all that rating and the reviews and all the rest of it because anything that referred to Martin, I just couldn't have. Um, and it would be like starting from scratch. Nobody knew who I was, and and I just thought after being in business for twenty two years, I just didn't want to start my business from scratch again. 
So it was a very conscious business decision to keep the name of the business the same, but detach myself from it, even though I'm the only person working in that business. So, so instead of being Martin from Martin News Photography and Film, I would be Katie from Martin News Photography and Film. But in order to do that, I'd have to come up very openly, very honestly, and very publicly as being trans and continue to do that. So what I decided to do was to make a coming out video. And so what I did, I made this coming out video and I sent it to all my clients and I put it on all, all my social media. This is on the 26th of April, 2018, another date I'll never forget. And I remember now my, my finger nervously hovering over the mouse, knowing as soon as I make that click to make the video live, my life would never be the same again. Anyway, I, I clicked the mouse and I waited, but then I had to go on a job. <laughs> But mine wasn't on the job. I was I was just taking the pictures as quickly as I could. <laughs> and this client was very happy with the pictures, but I was on autopilot because I couldn't wait to come back to see what was happening on Facebook because that was the first one that it went out on. The thing is, I was so worried about the reaction to it because because I was freelance and, and so I, I don't have a, any long-term contracts with anybody. If my clients had a problem with my being trans, then the phone would stop ringing and I'd lose all my clients, you know, I'd lose my income. So my whole livelihood, my reputation, everything rested on the reaction to that one video. It was a huge moment for me. So anyway, I came back and I nervously looked on Facebook and I needn't have worried because I was inundated with hundreds of messages of support. It was amazing. I felt so loved and I didn't do any work for three whole days because I was so busy replying to all these lovely messages. And as well as having, having lovely messages from friends and from clients, I had messages from other trans people who'd seen it, who, who'd said that they'd been struggling with their gender and they thanked me for what I'd said because they, you know, they said that it helped them. And it, Coming out went from being something that I was absolutely dreading to being one of the most uplifting experiences of my life. You know, second only to the birth of my daughter. It was right up there. It was amazing. So that was me, well and truly outed. But there was one particular message that really struck a chord with me. And that was from a woman whose son had had gender issues when he was going through puberty. And she said that he was, um, he was being treated for it at a gender clinic for kids. And she said that, that he was worried at the time that he'd either self-harm or he'd be bullied, or he'd attempt suicide. And she was right to be worried, as um, Stonewall's Trans Mental Health Survey of 2012 showed that 84% of trans people in the UK have attempted suicide at least once, and 48% have thought about it. And she said to me, if only there was someone like you out there at the time that he was going through this, that could let him know that it's okay to be trans, because it really is okay to be trans. And that really got me thinking. And I thought, I've got to do some good with this. And so I decided to vlog my whole journey and bring people along on the journey with me, demystify the whole process, educate people. So, you know, so show people that you know, trans people are just ordinary people who want to be happy. But then also reach out to other trans people to let them know that it really is okay to be trans and you can be trans and happy. And so I started doing that. And then my story was picked up initially in the local media. And I started doing interviews for local radio and local newspapers. And then it escalated. And I started doing interviews for national radio and television and national newspapers and, and magazines. And so all of a sudden, I've become this trans ambassador, if you like. And I think a lot of a lot of prejudice and bigotry comes from a fear of the unknown. So if you can take that unknown away, then you're doing a really good thing. So I think education is the key here. So the more education there is, then the easier, well, the, the, the more acceptance there will be. And then the more acceptance there will be, be, the easier it will be for other trans people to A, admit to themselves they're trans, because that's the hardest thing, and B, to actually 
do something about it and and and, and live their best life. As ultimately, you know, whether we're whether we're trans or not, we all want to live our best life, don't we? <laughs> that's, the, that's what absolutely, that's what, yeah. That's what we all we want. Do. Yeah, and it's and I think as well when you're talking about you know it's that being aware of trans people or people that may be transitioning for example then you know there's like it's an awareness it's been becoming aware of it then education like you've talked about and then once once you become kind of aware educate then you can take action you can you know you can become an ally you can be supportive but also for those other people that are going through that it's sometimes a similar process with all of us in anything that we do. There's a level of awareness that starts, then we have to grow and learn about it. And then that's when we can take action. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and in terms of my transition, I mean, I've, um, things that I don't know if you're aware, you are, because you, you listened to, to one of my other talks before, but, um, for the, the waiting times for just to get seen at, at NHS gender clinics after being referred by a GP can be anything between three and five and a half years. Not months, but years, three and a half, five and a half years, just to get the first appointment. Then you don't get treated. All it is is a chat, a chat with a nurse or a clinician. You know, just first of all, and then you, then you have to to wait. Then you can. Some people wait up to a year for their second appointment, and that that's another chat with. That's with the with usually with, with them either a psychotherapist or or, or with a, a GP. So. <laughs> but and then it's normally the third appointment when they start assessing you for for um, to give you hormone therapy. So it's a really long process, and then you know then it's like fourth appointment before they actually start talking about um, about surgery if you want to go down that route because not all trans people do want to go down that route because transition is split into three main sections. There's lots of different subsections within it, and not everybody goes takes every step along the way but the three sections to it so the first section is social transition so that's things like changing your name by deed poll and on your on your um, driving license and passport and all that kind of stuff and changing that everywhere and then and then changing your appearance so in in, in your hairstyle makeup you know or, or you know um, facial hair um you know you, you with what you wear and everything so to doing that so and then just being accepted and just living full-time in your desired gender so that that's the social transition that side of it and then the next the step is hormonal transition so that's taking uh, hormone blockers that block the existing hormones in your body and then cross-sex hormones that, that that give you the the hormones that match your your gender and then the, the, then the third stage is the surgical transition and then the various different surgeries that are available most of it not on the nhs most of it has to be self-funded so for trans women in england there's, there's only one surgery that's available. There's two in Scotland, but only one in in, in England. Uh, and for trans men, there are two surgeries that are available, both yeah, in both countries. But it's um, but there, there's a lot of other stuff that you, you have to do that you end up have to, having to self fund. Um, so it's a very expensive journey. Yeah, and it's you know so. Um, but anyway, I I just felt that I couldn't wait because you know, it was it'd been like it'd been like a pressure cooker building up inside of me over 48 years and all of a sudden boom you know it exploded and I'd admitted to myself this is who I am this is the real me I needed to do something about it and I needed to crack on with it I couldn't wait or I felt I couldn't wait for you know sort of three to five and a half years just to get a first appointment to the gender clinic so I was in the fortunate not enough position I was able to afford to pay to go to a private gender clinic and so I was able to start on on hormone therapy very quickly 
Um, I mean, you can actually wait up to a year just to get seen by a um, at a private gender clinic because there's so much demand and not enough supply. But I was very lucky. I got cancellation appointments, so I got in quite quickly. So I've now been on on hormone therapy for um, almost three and a half years. And, and I've been living full time as female for around three years. And, you know, it, it, you know, it just feels so right. It really does. You know, it's just, there hasn't, you know, there hasn't been a day that I've got up in the morning you know, in those last over those last three years, and thought, oh well, pretend to be Martin today. Not a single day. It just feels so right. And I've lost count of the number of people who've told me that I look so much happier now. And I'm not surprised because it's the real me. I, I'm I'm just loving it. I'm just living my truth. It just is amazing. You know, a lot of people talk about gender dysphoria, but this is gender euphoria, and it really does feel euphoric. You know, it really it's amazing. And so even though you know, I've got a different appearance and um, a different name, still exactly the same person on the inside. You know, I've got the same skills, the same experience, the same sense of integrity, same sense of humour, however warped. <laughs> I'm still exactly <laughs> the same person on the inside, but far, far happier. Yeah. I also have cravings for chocolate now too, but it's a girl thing. <laughs> so, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine, yeah. But uh, yeah, but then so, yeah, went on to form Cool to be Trans to do trans awareness training and inspirational speaking, you know, because um, and, and also to support other trans trans people because you know when I do my trans awareness training and, and my talks and everything so often I get contacted by other trans people who are struggling and 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 and, and often I can just give them a bit of support and also parents of trans people as well they contact me a lot probably more actually than trans people directly to be honest and and often they just need a bit of hand holding just to show them that it really is okay to be like this <laughs> it's, it's normal it's perfectly natural <laughs> um it's just part of life you know um but it's just it's just a case of just fighting against these labels that are placed on us at birth. That's when the damage is done, when the labels are given to us. That's the problem. But, um, you know, I mean, one of my biggest surprises in all this is the vast majority of people are supportive and they are okay with this. They really are. And okay, quite often they'll use clumsy language, and, but that's okay. I can help them with that. Um, that's an education piece. That's what I do. Yeah, that's fine. But most people are supportive. Another big surprise is that white van drivers stop to let me cross the road now. Now, that never used to happen. <laughs> That only happens when I get particularly dressed up, though. <laughs> but when they do it, I put my hand up and I say in my very deepest voice, thanks, mate. You know, that really shocks them. <laughs> you want to see their faces, Emma, aren't you? <laughs> so you, you don't have to lose your sense of humour when you uh, when you transition. <laughs> so, but, um, I mean, my, my biggest piece of advice to people is if they're planning on doing something big, whether it's in their personal life or in the career or any, any big change, is and but they're worried about it, is just acknowledge that fear, but then go for it anyway. Because I found that reality is usually a lot easier than you fear. You build these fears up, you know, in, inside you, and they can be huge, and then they just escalate. But reality is a lot easier, and most people regret the things in life that they don't do, not the things they did do. Absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes, well, fear often holds many people back in, in many ways, doesn't it? And that could be fear of conversation, fear of loss, like, you know, like you said, but then in some ways you've gained so much as well yeah. by going through this process, like oh. you didn't have an option. No, oh no, there's no, no option at all. But I mean, you know, and, and since and coming out so publicly and everything was amazing, and it's turned out to be the best thing ever because it's it's my world has opened up enormously. I mean, it really has. It's just been incredible. Um, and um, you know, the 
the, the places that I've been able to speak as, and, and the, the gigs that I've had when I spoke with royalty this year. And it was just, it, it, you know, it, it's been incredible. The opportunity that I've had has been, been amazing. And, and by coming out as I did with my coming out video, I know it was pretty an ex- extreme way of coming out. It, you know, I, I live in a village but there was no gossip about me in the village because nobody could say anything about me that I hadn't said myself because it was all out there. And so it was just done, bang, in the space of a weekend. It was out there and it was done. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was, and everybody's been fine. Everybody's been lovely and no problems at all. At all. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Overwhelmingly positive. And okay. I get a lot of abuse um, on social media. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I've got a thousand messages of, of abuse uh, of hate recently, but that's only because I put my head so so well above the parapet and I, you know, it's just part of the job. It shouldn't be part of the job, but it is, but there's a certain section of society who are very anti-trans and but they don't represent the majority of people. And the majority of people are absolutely fine. They really are. But the trouble is that a lot of trans people who are looking at social media, they often they become reclusive because they, they, they live their lives on social media and they're too frightened because of what they see on there. They're too frightened to go out into the real world. And they think the real world's going to be like that, but it's not. It's not at all. I mean, okay, some people might be, but in general, they're not. They are really great. And, and most people are really nice people and don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but there's a certain section of people who are very noisy and they're very well funded and they they have friends in high places. And, so, and unfortunately, they are in, influencing government. They've, they've, they're funded actually by um, Christian fundamentalist groups in the States and they're, and they're actually giving them a lot of money and they're so well organised and they've infiltrated all the all the, um, the the major UK political parties. And so they're trying to influence and they are influencing policy from within. And so a lot of the you know, laws are being made very anti-trans. And so we've got a huge struggle on our hands just to try and a, keep the... Um, the rights that trans people have and and be try and increase them if we can but it's it's a real struggle it's a real struggle and a lot of the mainstream media are very anti-trans as well and they they like to have these debates you know where they 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 get a, they get known transphobes and pit them against trans people i mean i i mean i i, ter- I turned down quite a lot of interviews radio interviews for that because you know, they wouldn't, the way that I put it to them is that they wouldn't put, if they were doing a piece about race, they wouldn't, they wouldn't platform a known racist and they wouldn't give them that platform. And yet they're quite happy to do that for, for, for transphobes. And yet being trans isn't a debate. It's my identity. It's not up for debate. That's my identity. It's who I am. Yeah. So, and yet they're quite happy to, to have this debate in, in the name of balance. <laughs> um, and the BBC is one of the worst for doing that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I t- turned down interviews for BBC and there's one on talk radio I, did, uh, I turned down the other day as well. But the lots, they, they do it all the time but in, in the interest of balance. But all they do is they like to, have, they like to um, get people to have arguments and um, it's clickbait. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. Pure how is that, but how is that balance if neither side is able to explain fully it's bias in society and lack of education, isn't it? You know, that often influences people's opinion and it's the way it's culture and the way that we're brought up. And I think the the real positive thing is that kind of children are now being educated in a way that there is more than one gender and more than one sexuality, you know, yeah, more than two sexualities, for example. Yeah. I, th- I think they are. And I think the younger generation on the whole 
have got it and they're much better. It's the, it tends to be the older generation who, t- who tends to need more of the education on this. However, there is still, still a big issue, I think, particularly in secondary schools. There's a lot of uh, tr- both transphobia and homophobia in secondary schools. And so the need, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I mean, I've, done, I've given support to um, uh, pride youth groups. And um, I, until I started doing that work, I just thought, oh, well, the younger generation have got it. They don't need any help, but they do. Um, they, they tell me there's a lot of bullying that goes on in, in secondary schools. So there is a lot of work. So both the, the, the students need to be educated, but so do the, the, the teachers. So all the staff need to be educated on this as well. I think in terms of like doing school talks and stuff like that, it's not just the pupils and the staff that need it. You need to get parents in as well, educate the parents, because children aren't born with prejudice. They're taught it. They're taught it by someone. They're either taught it by their parents or, or from from the from the staff, from the school, the teachers. So you know, <laughs> you know, or by their peers, I suppose. From, from you know, they're influenced all all the way around. So but that, that that's how they get prejudice. So I think there needs to be a big education piece everywhere. And so often I find that when I do talks, you know, I'm, I'm, I find myself particularly in demand in things like. June, which is Pride Month, or Transgender Day of Visibility, or Trans Awareness Week, or all, all these different, sort of, you know, Inclusion Week, and all these sort of things, I, you know, I, I find myself in big demand, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing these speaking gigs all over the place. And then, as soon as those weeks or months or whatever are over, then, then it, you know, nobody wants to know. And you think, well, actually, what these organisations are doing—they're ticking boxes. You, know, you need to, you need to, you know, because what happens is that. You, they get a voluntary audience come along. They might have, say, a thousand staff, but then maybe only a hundred people come along, or fifty people or something come along to to listen to the talk. Well, they're only you know they're only educating just a fraction of the workforce. Whereas if they re- and and things that usually the people that come along to these talks are people who are on side anyway, and they're already supportive. So I end up finding myself preaching to the converted. And while it serves a purpose, it furthers their education, and that's fine it doesn't actually reach the people that it needs to reach. And so I think trans awareness sessions need to be compulsory in all organisations. If companies are are serious about being trans inclusive and, and they say they're serious, then they need to prove it <laughs> and they need to they need to do something about it. And that is something they can do about it. But at the moment, so many are not serious about it and they just like ticking boxes and say, oh, well, that's it. We've done the trans thing for another year. Aren't we good? Yeah, look at us and put it all over the social media. You could be talking about mental health as well. So when you were talking about you know, about schools. So I'm like massively passionate and I've co-written a course um, for teachers, well, um, anyone who works with children. So what tends to happen is it's like, oh, we've got a mental health specialist or we've got a mental health nurse in school or we've got this person that comes in or a counsellor or whatever. And it's it's very kind of centralised around a number of or um around a pastoral team for example but actually every teacher should have a level of understanding and some education around mental health and well-being just as they should have the same education they should have education around you know around like equality and diversity and around equity as well and in essence there is a level of you know things that are done in school around equity but, you know, around things like they are given figures and things like that in terms of kids that have got, you know, we've got free school meals, for example. So, so they kind of they know in terms of where 
additional support might need to be put, for example, or things like that. So the, there's, there's, there is a sort of a level of awareness in terms of that equity part, but actually there's so much more that we could do in schools around around kind of the, the, this whole piece and this connection between, well, trans and mental health and everything that kind of we're discussing really today and it's something that I'm hugely passionate about yes it's got to be proportional to the age that the child is and it's got to be appropriate because we don't want to but there's some really there's some really good books that that uh, that approach the subject that that are, are perfect for primary schools so there's one called Vincent the Vixen and it's one that uh, that we that, that we've got here actually that um that um I've read to my daughter and 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 that and that that was actually recommended to me by her, her primary school that she was at at the time and there, there are many others as well that, that approach the subjects and, and 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 so this can be taught in primary schools but obviously expand much more obviously in secondary schools I mean you know secondary schools I could go in and and, and do the talk that I've just you know the, the, the tell my story as, as I've just told it to you in secondary schools but I wouldn't tell it like that in a primary school <laughs> yeah but but then I mean I found myself <laughs> had to do sort of impromptu talks i mean there was one i, I took my daughter to um soft play area a, a couple of years ago and obviously before covid and everything and um she was um i, I was just having a coffee in the in the cafe and she went in to, to play and then it wasn't long before she came out and she asked me to to go in and play with her and, and um and she still calls me dad and i'm happy for her to call me dad but, but the trouble is that because i'm proud to be a dad and i'll always be a dad but it's just i'm female here yeah? but i'm just the only problem is obviously when she calls me dad in public, that instantly outs me. And so she's actually got to the stage now, now she's 10, that, that she calls me dad in private, but Katie in public. And that's great. And that, that's that's perfect because then that then I could be any relation then and nobody would question me. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, she wasn't at that stage. She was still calling him dad all the time. So anyway, it, it wasn't... So I went into this soft play area and it wasn't long before she called me dad because some of these other kids heard her. And then I remember this one little boy, he, he looked at me and he put his hands on his hips and his head on one side. And he said, so are you her mum or her dad? So I said, I'm her dad, but I'm transgender. But that's why I look like this. And it was like, Oh, and it's like, and then it was like bees were on a honeypot. They were all around me. So I found myself doing this impromptu trans trans awareness training <laughs> session using age appropriate language, yeah, in a ball pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but once I told them, they just said, "Oh, okay," and then they just carried on playing, and that was it. That was it. And then afterwards, I thought, oh, well, I better go and tell the parents just so they know what's going on. But I just had to deal with it as it happens, as it arose. And so I, the, the mums were actually sitting near where I was. And so I just went and just told them what had happened. And uh, I was a bit worried because if they were anti-trans, it could have gone the other way. But they weren't. They were fine. And they were great. And we had a lovely conversation about it. And I said, well, just in case they start talking about it, you know, this is what's just happened. And they were great. <laughs> but um, but, but kid, kids are generally fine. Yeah. They just get it. That's yeah. brilliant. And so you've had two businesses for the last, how long is it? Uh, well, the photography and video business I've had for about 24, 25 years now, but with Cool to be Trans, that's the new venture. I've had that for two years now. And that's really, that, that's really taking off now, to be honest. It's, that's really, really going places. And I'm, and I'm loving it. I'm just so passionate about it. And I, I mean, I never thought that so many positive things would have come out of that emotional session with a clairvoyant on the 11th of January 2018. That all of this would have happened and that so many people are helped by what I'm doing. I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely loving it. I really am. It's keeping me busy though. 
<laughs> well, and you're absolutely, you know, brilliant at it as well. So, um, yeah, so many people that listen to this podcast are high achievers, high performers, entrepreneurs or career orientated leaders of businesses trying to juggle everything so how do you switch off so you can switch on and perform at your best what do you mean switch off so, <laughs> i was joking i was gonna say what just <laughs> <laughs> you you got me there <laughs> sorry I'm, yeah i mean yeah um well i mean i do i mean i like walking i love walking and, and i um i did try i did start getting into a good habit of going out for a walk before breakfast, an early morning walk. And a lot of people, when they go out for a walk, they put their headphones on and listen to podcasts and things. But I don't like doing that. I like just to be present and I just like to smell the fresh air and listen to the birds singing and, and just connect with nature, really. So I love it. I love nature and I love the countryside and, and living in the countryside really helps. So that's great. So like that, I like cycling. I, I like socialising with friends. You know, I'm a very social person. So I, I, I love meeting up with friends and and um just just having a good chat with them so that that helps me to to wind down and to switch off and also just spending time with with my family with my daughter and or seeing my mum yeah that sort of thing nice yeah so family connections well it's very similar to me and walking yeah I'm not quite into the cycling yet unless it's one that's still really <laughs> 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 oh, I don't like the still ones. I like the ones that move. <laughs> you like it. You like to be able to see. Um, yeah. 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 I like to get out, out and about on the bikes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I do say, I do, I know, I just, I'm so clumsy. I do, I just have this vision that I'll fall off. And I don't know why, but <laughs> really? I think, anyway, I need to. <laughs> Yeah. I think you need to practice yeah. more on a still one first. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to get back into my music again because I've always been into folk music, and uh, so I've been to folk festivals many times, loads, you know, regularly over the years. And I, I played the guitar and banjo, and uh, I've played in many bands over the years. But I'm not in a band at the moment, so it's been um, that's been sort of dormant for a bit. And um, so I, I'd like to like to get back into that. Actually, I think that'd be a, a nice thing to do. I, I used to fly aeroplanes as well. I flew flew um, aerobatics. I used to fly aeroplanes for twenty years. I flew aeroplanes. So uh, I, I've got a. I used to have a share in an open cockpit aerobatic biplane and uh, <laughs> doing all sorts of stunts. It was it was amazing. I loved it. But uh, again, I've let that um, I've let that slip for the time being. But uh, hopefully, one day I'll get back into it again. Yeah. Well, it is. It's all balance, isn't it? We can't it do is. everything, can we? We can't. We can't at all. No. And you've kind of had to focus on you, you know. So I think, yeah. Well, so it was just what we were talking earlier. It's all juggling, isn't it? With yeah. you know, it's sort of like you know, juggling parental duties with with running two businesses, and also my mum's got dementia, so it's having to spend a lot of time helping her out as well. And it's like juggling loads of stuff up in the air, and it's just not yeah, not a huge amount of time to focus on me. But um, but also I'm, I still am in transition, so I still have stuff to do there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and appointment, you know, hospital appointments and things as well there. So, yeah, lo- lots and lots going on. So if you could give our listeners any advice on what your flourishing formula for living is. So if you have any mental fitness tips or a mantra that you live by or, or anything like that that you think kind of could help our listeners. Um, I, I just think live your truth. That's that's what I'd say. Just just live your truth, um, because if you try and live your life for other people, then that's no way to be happy. 
you know, if you live your truth, then that is the easiest way to be happy. I mean, okay, you may well have to make sacrifices to do it. I've had to make huge sacrifices for this and I've lost family and I've lost friends over this, Um, you know, and it's been really hard. It's been a tough journey, but I'm so much happier for doing it. And so, and I, I am living my truth and I'm, absolutely loving it i really am so that that i think that's that's the main thing don't don't try and be somebody that other people want you to be you know every time i've spoken to you you just it doesn't look like to me that you've only lived as a trans woman for for what three 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 years half years yeah yeah to me it's just like you're so comfortable that it could have been for the whole of your life because it just is yeah, know, I'm, I can't, I'm I can't imagine you any other way. No, well, I mean, if I mean, obviously, if you, I don't know if you've looked at my website and looked at the um, my vlogs and you know videos of me as I was before. My, my coming out videos on my website, it's on the About Me page of my website. But the, so there's the, so the vlogs have been done. So so I started those when I was still in male mode, so you can see what I used to look like, and yeah, so you can sort of see that transition happening through there. And and so, but it's funny that when. You look at how I was before, I don't think I ever really fitted as being a man. I pretended to be a man and I was conditioned to be a man over 48 years. And, you know, I think I did a, a reasonable job as it, but I, uh, it was never me. Yeah, <laughs> this is the real yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. So any books or, or anything, that, any podcasts or anything that you feel that has really supported you, anything that you could recommend for our listeners? Yeah, well, the the, um, the book that I that I mentioned that you and your gender identity by Dara Hoffman Fox is a brilliant book for people who are questioning their gender identity. There's a link to it on the um, uh, on the mentoring page of my website. There's a link to, it. and there's also some links also to other support groups as well for both trans people and also parents and, and also partners of trans people um, as well. There's links to, to, to support groups and things there as well. So if any of your listeners um, are struggling with this regard, then then they may find it, it helps them. That would be really helpful. And what we'll do is we'll pop some of those links in the show notes as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. great. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how are they best to do that? Probably best through my website, actually, um, because there's a contact page on my website. So that's probably the easiest way. And I'm the phone number and emails on there as well, but the contact page is fine. Uh, but my website is um, is www.cooltobetrans.com co.uk and i'll spell all that so it's cool so c-o-o-l and then it's the number two and then the letter b and then trans t-r-a-n-s dot co.uk yes and so if you're looking for someone like katie to come and educate your school or your organization or you need some support then you know please do get in touch because she is an absolute inspiration and i just want to say thank you so much for um coming on the Human Reboot podcast. Oh, thank you, Emma. Thank you for listening to the Human Reboot podcast. I'm Emma Last, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list, or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.